Welcome to the Sea Trade Cruise Global Security 101 podcast. I'm John Sifling, Sea Trade Cruise Ambassador for Safety and Sustainability and your podcast host. Joining me today is Rick Miller, retired U.S. Navy captain, former cruise line executive, and founder of Ferros Mission Critical Solutions, a consultancy and technology integration practice headquartered in Washington, D.C. area. Welcome, Rick. Thanks, John. It's great to be with you again today. Great to have you. So, Rick, if you wouldn't mind, would you go over your background a little bit, what you're doing now, what you did when you were working with the cruise lines and what you did before that? Sure, happy to. So when I was the vice president of nautical and safety operations at Carnival, I had responsibility for the global nautical marine operations for Carnival's fleet, which included voyage planning and execution, operational safety, occupational safety, environmental operations, training, and medical. Additionally, I led the design and development of Carnival's Fleet Operations Center in Miami, and we also had all of the incident and emergency response and fleet deviation responsibilities. And so in that regard, worked very closely with the security teams on issues around the world and across the fleet, as well as working with the corporate team on standardizing policies and procedures across all nine of Carnival's lines and at that time, 100 plus ships of the fleet. As you alluded to before that, I was in the U.S. Navy, including time as a captain in command at sea with numerous shipboard and staff assignments, sailed all the world's oceans, and had significant operational experience over the better part of close to 30 years. And then in particular, my last assignment on active duty before I joined the cruise industry, I led current operations at U.S. Southern Command, which is the regional command responsible for operations across all 31 countries in Central South America and the Caribbean. And so, John, if I recall, I think that's where you and I first met because I was one of the government officials then that used to come in and brief the CLIA Security Committee back when you were at Princess. Remember, you coming in in your uh, Navy uniform right before you retired. Yeah. And then after uh, leaving Carnival, founded Pharos, and we do a range of operations consultancy and technology integration work. We have a large practice still in the maritime space, and we work with not just interest in crews, but container, tankers, other shipping interests, port authorities, port pilots, and others. Well, thanks for that, Rick. And I think when I start talking about my own background, folks are going to see a few interesting overlaps. And as you've already pointed out, you and I overlap working together in the industry. While you were working up at Carnival Corporate Headquarters, I was Vice President Fleet Security at Princess Cruises, a, a member line of the Carnival Corporate family. I was there for eight years, and at the time, Princess had 17 ships on worldwide itineraries. Prior to my time at Princess, I was a U.S. Coast Guard officer for 21 years. My last position in the service was as Captain Laporte and the commanding officer of the Marine Safety Office up in Juneau, Alaska. And as many will know, that is the largest cruise line destination in the U.S. with, at the time, a million visitors to the Panhandle every year, but there are many more now, at least when full, as of 2019, the last full season of cruising up in Alaska. Now, like you, I work in consulting. I'm principal at Broadreach Maritime, LLC. We do maritime consulting, and I'm located here in the Los Angeles area in California. So, Rick, let's talk first about what we're going to cover here today. What is Security 101? And what I'd like to talk about with you is 
sort of overview for our audience, all the important measures that cruise lines take every day to make sure all of our guests are safe and secure. And today we're going to really focus on security. There are a lot of other things that cruise lines do to ensure a comfortable and safe cruising experience. But for the amount of time we have today, security is a big enough topic for us to tackle. I want to talk about some of the obvious measures, the visible measures that anybody who goes on a cruise would see every day. But also there's a lot of important behind the scenes security work that's done that many people may not be aware of. So we'll talk about those a little bit as well. And then before we get started, I'd just like to put out a few caveats. You and I are both self-employed now. I should have pointed out earlier, Rick, I also, as you know, work for um, Informa Markets who run Sea Trade Cruise Global show. I produce platform content for the health and safety theater there. And you have been a frequent contributor, panelist, and moderator for the theater. And in fact, this year, you're going to be doing a session on cybersecurity. So we probably should have mentioned that up front. But my point here is that neither you or I are official representatives of any cruise lines uh, at the moment. Now, that said, we can generally discuss the sorts of security measures that all cruise lines take. And we'll also point out that each cruise line does it. They have their own approach, do some things uniquely, but the things we'll talk about today are common to all. And then finally, I just want to point out that 101, our podcast today, by nature, is just an overview. We couldn't possibly cover everything under the umbrella of security that cruise lines do with the amount of time we have available to us today. So have I missed anything or are you ready to launch off into it? No, John, I, I think we're there. It's um, I, I, You're right. I mean, the, the broad range of the security topic in the industry, when you consider, you know, security, not just on board the vessels, but, you know, security boarding, security in the terminals, in the ports, in the destinations they visit, in the outcountry areas. I mean, there are so many elements to this. So we will do our best to try to summarize as much of it as we can in the time allowed. Yeah, indeed. There's a lot that's done and a lot to think about. I'd like to kind of broadly divide it into the security measures that are taken on board the ship and then the security measures that happen ashore. Now, some of the measures that happen aboard the ship are probably many of the measures that our guests will be most aware of. So let's start off by talking about the security team aboard the ship and what it's composed of. And feel free, Rick, to jump in here anywhere if you think I'm leaving something out or is an important point to be made. But I think, generally speaking, the security team on any ship operated by any of the brands will have a security officer. This is typically a senior officer in rank. So a ship's captain, just for comparison, will be an officer with four stripes. The security officer is typically, for most lines, a three-stripe officer, so quite senior in the line, usually a member of the deck department, and it's a security officer who's responsible for leading the security team. And typically, the security officer reports to, uh, well, in Princess, we called the second-in-command of the ship the staff captain. In other lines, I believe they use a term deputy captain. That's correct, John. We also called him staff captain at Carnival, but, but yeah, I, I agree. The security officer generally, across most of the lines that I'm familiar with, you know, reports directly into that staff captain or deputy captain role. So it gets attention at the highest levels on board. Exactly. And that and that's a very good point. And then, of course, 
The deputy captain and the staff captain is the second in command and reports directly to the to the captain. So that'll give the listeners some idea of how important security is because of the direct route it has to the leadership of the ship. Now, the security team is typically comprised of some supervisors who are among the more experienced members of the team or who are the more experienced members of the team. And then a number of patrol personnel that depending on the size of the ship. So for example, at Princess at the time, uh, and I'm gonna remember this correctly, but our smallest ships at the time would have six or 700 passengers and our largest ships at the time, now everything's changed, uh, would have 3,500, 4,000 passengers or guests. So obviously the number of security personnel that you'd need would vary depending on the size of the ship and the number of the passengers on board. So that's the ship security team and who's on it. Have I missed anything there, Rick? No, I think that you know hits the highlights on board. I, I think another important thing to, to point out is that in addition to having a direct line to the staff captain and captain, that head of security, the security officer on board, also has a direct line to the company's chief security officer. So the role, for example, you used to have at Princess, and that person ashore has got a direct immediate line to the you know senior executive leadership of the company. So it gives that onboard security officer, both shipboard and shoreside, a tremendous ability to leverage support and resources as needed. Yeah, that's a very good point, Rick. And it also points to the fact that the, the security officer in a ship holds a very important statutory title and that is ship security officer or SSO. It requires very specific training. We'll get into some of the training elements here in a moment, but it requires very specific training. It's designated in writing and the designated ship security officer has a parallel reporting to the company security officer, sure, and that's a title I held as uh, VP security at Princess Cruises at the time. And that setup will be paralleled for all cruise lines. Right, because that's consistent with the International Maritime Organization standards and guidelines for you know fleets around the world. Exactly, and International Ship and Port Facility Security Code as well. So let's now segue over to talking a little bit about physical security measures. And this is where some of the measures that cruise lines take will look quite familiar to our guests. So let's start off by talking a little bit about gangway screening. In order to get on board a ship, any cruise ship, you need to be screened and no dangerous items, weapons, or anything of any kind like that is permitted on board. So Rick, would you just kind of go over a little bit what happens at the gangway, the screening is done there and why it's done? Sure, so this, you know, as you said, I think will be familiar to most people because if you've flown an airplane, this will look and feel a lot like what you do with TSA going through an airport. And so if this is in the home port where you're initially embarking on a cruise, some of this process will be done in the terminal. And then, you know, you'll be in a secure part of the terminal until you actually get on board the ship. And then if you're in an outport, you know, this procedure is done actually at the gangway on the ship. But functionally, there's metal detector, magnetometer, you know, an arch that somebody will walk through, which will check to make sure that they're not carrying anything on their person. They will put any handheld bags, purses, things like that through an x-ray screening machine right there, just like you would do at the airport. And then of course, if there's anything detected that requires a search of a bag or a search of a person, 
the security personnel on board the ship are there with the handheld wands, magnetometers, and you know, pat-down searches and things to check to make sure there's no dangerous items coming aboard. As baggage comes aboard, again at the embarkation port, you know, all that baggage is X-rayed and screened as it comes through, just like is done at an airport. So in, in many ways, the the boarding process, if you fly airplanes, it's going to look and feel almost exactly the same. And you do that every time you come on and off the ship. So it is not a, uh, you know, one time for the cruise. It, it's every time you you depart, even in an outport during a, an excursion or itinerary, when you come back, you'll go through that same screening process to reboard. Right. And that's a very good point, Rick, is just like an airport, the interior of a ship is a secure area. And a secure area would not remain secured if you didn't consistently guard all the entrances and screen at all the entrances. And the ways that a dangerous item could get on board the ship is either in the possession of a person entering via the gangway or through the baggage that comes aboard the ship, passenger and crew baggage. And I guess I'll I'll mention one other way that type of goods that get screened arriving at the ship would be stores. So when ships arrive in a port, they're going to have to be restocked with all the wonderful foods and beverages and, you know, lubricating oils and everything you can imagine it takes to run a cruise ship. And we should point out at this point that stores are also screened before they come aboard as well. Yeah, the stores themselves are screened. The vendors that provide them are pre-vetted and approved. Um, You know, they're controlled access within the port of what they can and can't do to bring close to a vessel. And I know we're going to talk about the short side things later, but, you know, there's a lot of measures in the ports that also provide those additional layers of screening uh, before something approaches one of the ships. Exactly. We'll hit a few other high points here, Rick. And again, we couldn't possibly cover everything, but we have the security team led by the security officer and the security team will conduct routine patrols of the ship, both in the public areas. And these are the areas where our guests are free to go. But there are also restricted areas of the ship where only crew members are allowed. And examples here are the bridge and the engine room. So, for example, during patrols, crew members would make sure that the doors, the locked doors between secure areas on the ship are secure so that our guests wouldn't unknowingly wander into an area where they're not supposed to be or where there may be hazards present. And a lot of those areas also have additional coverage with alarms and, you know, video monitoring and other things that, you know, send alerts to central places that are being monitored by the security team as well. So in addition to that roving security guard type patrol, they've got the video and alarm systems that they monitor as well. Exactly. And you've actually alluded to the next point we wanted to talk about so that these doors could very well have alarms on them. They, and they may have security cameras, in fact, do have security cameras pointed at them. And there are security cameras, in fact, positioned throughout cruise ships for passenger safety, for guest safety. In the public areas. In the public areas. Yeah, you beat me to it. I was going to point out, though, that you won't find security cameras for obvious reasons in uh, guest staterooms or in toilet facilities or anything like that. They will be in passageways, out at bars and restaurants, you know, anywhere outside your stateroom in a public area, you may expect to see security cameras. And Security cameras are very common things now that you see 
in all sorts of commercial buildings. And even nowadays, Rick, you know, people are putting them up on their own properties for security purposes. For example, those ring doorbells where you can see who's, you know, who's ringing at your doorbell before you open the door. Yeah. Well, and we have a very similar setup on, like you said, the door to the bridge and the door to the engine spaces and things have those similar type, you know, ring camera alert systems. And another point to, to realize, like particularly here in the United States, there's there's different U.S. laws and regulations that require the cruise lines to do this. So in addition to its good safety and security practice, it's also compliance with federal requirements here in the United States for the ships that sail out of the U.S. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, you you don't you don't want to open the door to the bridge or the engine room until you verify that the person wanting to gain access has business being there. So the security team and a security officer, sort of like cops on the beat, are walking around making sure the ship is safe and secure, helping and assisting passengers if they have any issues. And at this point, I, so I, I want to also talk a little bit about incident response and investigation. So there's a lot of people on the ship. Now the largest ships, Rick, are three, four, even up to 5,000 guests. And when you add crew in on top of that, you know, on the largest ships, it could be a a couple thousand crew members as well, or even slightly more than that. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking, you know, almost 9,000 people on some of the largest vessels. Right, exactly. And, you know, people on cruises are there to enjoy their vacations. There are no problems. But when you get enough folks together, there are bound to be incidents. And a security team is there to help respond and investigate anything that might happen. And, you know, here were the kinds of things that I recall would come up on the ship, fortunately in relatively rare circumstance would be, you know, incidents where there'd be confrontation between guests. And if I'm being honest here, it, you know, it's mostly guys, Rick, but you know, you, you could get a couple of folks that take issue with whose seat it is at the theater or something like that. And the security team is there to help defuse situations like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, not unlike somebody had a little too much to drink and gets a little too inspired on an argument. And so the ability for the security to step in and, you know, separate guests and diffuse those situations and prevent them from becoming something that they shouldn't be is, is always a great thing. I guess it's, it's also important to point out at this point that, you know, everything that's done on the ship to keep the ship safe and secure is codified in the ship security plan. And again, this is a plan that's required by both the flag state, the country whose flag the ship flies, okay, the country of registry for the ship, and international codes. So everything to be done on the ship with regard to the security program is written in the ship security plan. Important for the listeners to understand those ship security plans inside the companies and the vessels. I mean, they're they're treated in, in many ways much like classified information. <laughs> In the government, you know, there's very limited people need to have a need to know to have access to those things, you know, so that the appropriate measures are are protected and and controlled. I mean, certainly they're open to inspection and and review and validation by the flag state authorities and the port state authorities and all those types of things for the certifications. That's very sensitive company information for good reason. And it's there really to, you know, protect the guests and protect the ships. Exactly. So you've got the security team, you've got the ship security plan, and in order to remain proficient, the security team 
and other folks on the ship that support. In fact, we should also point out that it's not only the security team that's responsible for keeping folks safe and secure during the cruise, but it's really an all-hands responsibility. And other resources can be brought to bear if necessary to keep the passengers safe. So one of the ways you stay proficient, Rick, is through training, drills, and exercises. So the security team, like anybody else on the ship who's got a specific responsibility, have to periodically undergo training. So we'll keep, we can use, for example, here, the person operating the extra machine at the gangway. You just don't sit down behind that piece of equipment and watch the items go by. And, you know, it's not like science fiction where there'd be an arrow pointing at something that says, hey, knife here. Um, you have to know what you're looking at. And there's specific training that the security team takes so they can operate the x-ray machine. And same goes for the, you know, for magnetometer and calibrating it and the other pieces of security equipment that they would be responsible for. Yeah, no, that the training, very specific like that for the security officer in his or her direct team but you also alluded to it and you know I had broad responsibilities for safety and security training across the entire crew there's foundational elements of of security training that all the crew members receive when they get trained on you know how to deal with managing large crowds and deal with crisis situations or other types of events and so there are elements of security training I'll say sort of woven into many of the levels of drills and formal proficiency training and actual class certifications that crew members are required to pass and certify in um, across the board. Exactly. And shoreside management, people like you and I at the time responsible for helping the ships access the resources they need to keep everybody trained and to oversee and ensure that the training and the drills and the exercises were being conducted on a regular basis as required, and that they're being documented. There'll be formal records of all of these things. It's also worth mentioning as well, Rick, that shoreside staff. Yeah. I was just, yeah. just going to say, we, we used to have to do the drills on our side as well, you know, in collaboration with the ships, because yeah. there was a requirement that the, the, the company headquarters and the shoreside staff ran and certified a number of drills every year. And, you know, we tried to to vary those up and make sure that we continued to innovate and focus on new and evolving challenges to ensure that we were always thinking ahead of what the next issue could potentially be. And just briefly to mention shoreside staff or expand on that a little bit, I was kidding a little earlier that there were some interesting parallels between my background and yours. But if you look at security teams both board ships, but ashore, you'll find that the cruise lines hire people with background and experience in security. So you'll see people like you and I, you know, coming from a military background. And, and in the case of mine, the Coast Guard is a law enforcement agency. So I had that as well. You'll see people hired who have police backgrounds. And that is true often, very often of our ship security officers. They'll have a, a background as a police officer in their home country. We bring former ship security officers up to our home offices because they, now they've had experience on ships and they're in a good position to help manage the program from, from headquarters. You know, there's folks with intelligence background like you. I mean, the cruise lines pull folks in from the outside with experience in these things and experience with regulatory regulating such things, you know, to kind of help enhance their program. 
Yeah, that might be a great way for us to shift over and talk about, as you alluded to, some of the, uh, I'll say more behind the scenes things that aren't necessarily readily apparent to the guests, but, you know, are happening 24-7, 365 days a year, and often from the shoreside offices and teams to ensure that the places and destinations that the ships are going to are safe and effective. Right. So we'll move to that in just one moment. I'll quickly mention as we close out on the um, security on board the ship that, and it's kind of somewhat of a reiteration about what we covered earlier, but you know there will be international regulations the ship needs to comply with related to security, and the ships will need to be able to prove this and verify it. There will be regulations for their flag state. So for example, if the ship flies the flag of the United Kingdom, it will have to comply with any additional requirements of that country. And then there's the security requirements of the port state. And this is where the ship goes to visit. So if if the ship calls in Cairo, Egypt, for example, it's going to have to comply with Egyptian laws and regulations in that particular port. So there's a lot that a ship security officer supported by staff at the home office needs to think about to keep the ship in compliance. So with that said, yeah, let's move on now, Rick, to uh, security ashore. And, you know, you can have all the best equipment in the world and x-ray screening devices and all that. But, you know, I think we agree that there's nothing more important than, you know, people and partnerships. Here, I'd like to talk a little bit about the important security partnerships that exist ashore to keep everybody safe. So I watched the Destinations 101 video few months back. And there they talked about if you're a, a, a port, a new place, that, and you want to host cruise lines, here are a bunch of things that you need to think about if, if you want cruise ships to call in a port, if you want to be ready for that, to help get ready. And that's why they called it Destinations 101, kind of a little primer there. And above and beyond everything that was discussed there is if a port wants to host a cruise ship, there are a number of port and tour security requirements that need to be complied with before a ship can call in a port and that can happen. So let's talk a little bit about what the lines do and then also kind of what port authorities do and how everybody works together. So as I mentioned, the cruise ship doesn't just show up without some advanced work here. And at Princess, we had what we called our port inspection program. Other lines may use slightly different terms, but There are specific personnel dedicated to visiting ports periodically where the ships went to review their security procedures and strengthen our partnerships with shoreside authorities that provide security support to the ships during its call. So let's talk a little bit about the kinds of folks that the lines work with, you know, in a host country, a host port, and how everybody works together to make sure that the port call is safe and secure. And maybe this is where I just talk, I I start off by mentioning, you know, the port and the port authorities themselves. You wanna talk a little bit about what happens in the port, the security measures in a port. Maybe maybe we can talk a little bit here about, Rick, about some of the physical security measures and in some ways how they parallel what's done on the ship. Yeah, happy to. And in some ways I'll say, you know, what the cruise industry does parallels a lot what, you know, I think you and I probably did in our military backgrounds as well, because the Coast Guard and the Navy do similar processes before Coast Guard cutters and Navy warships go visit ports overseas. Mm -hmm. And so 
as John said, there's advanced work, there's meetings, there's site inspections, you know, usually starts with the port authority itself, the officials that actually run the port. And many port authorities have their own security forces or, you know, law enforcement police forces that are unique to the port, or they may be from the local municipality, but frequently they're teams that are dedicated to the port and the unique aspects of working in a port. And so you will go with those officials and you'll survey and look at the piers in the area where the ship's going to moor. You're going to look at, you know, is there the right fencing and, you know, barriers and protection to secure the area around the access to the ship? Is the right screening equipment in place? I mean, similar to all the things that we talked about, you know, for screening in terminals or screening to get on the ship, you know, many ports have similar setup. And so what are those things? How are they screening vehicles that have access to the port? You know, what is their security and guard force? What are their emergency response procedures, their emergency planning, their communication systems? I mean, it's comprehensive laydown of, I'll call it the physical security aspects, as well as the, the planning and preparation. And then there's also what I'd say more of the intelligence side, you know, how do they track criminal or other concerning behaviors or activities in their city, in their port, in their area? And, you know, how is that information going to be shared in advance with the cruise line company security official with the ship and the ship security officer, you know, such that the cruise officials and the vessel can make real-time decisions on how to best keep the, uh, the ship, the crew, and the passengers, the guests safe. Yeah, exactly, Rick. And I want to take a deeper dive into the information sharing and intel bit in just a moment here. But just quickly, I'm going to loop back. And so you touched on all the physical security measures that are going to be in place at the port. And so prior to arriving in the port, the cruise lines will verify periodically that the measures are in place. And, you know, we should also mention that the cruise ship terminals, passenger ship terminals, are required by international code to have very specific measures in place, the kinds of measures that you just spoke about. And I should have mentioned it, you mentioned it earlier, the uh, ISPS, you know, International Ship and Port Security Standards that, you know, it's now, I guess, coming close to the 20-year anniversary that ISPS was was implemented. So most ports, you know, have it well in hand now and are well-developed. But this whole process, as you said, you know, to approve a port initially for cruise visits, you know, they're going to go through this rigorous, you know, review and, and certification undertaking and then once they're approved, they're going to periodically be revisited on a recurring basis to ensure that things are remaining, you know, in compliance and on the up and up and performing as designed. Exactly. And that's why the cruise lines periodically check and, you know, put their own eyes on the ground there to verify these things because the port is an extension. You know, when the ship is calling in the port, you move the castle wall out from the skin of the ship out to the fence line of the port. And you want to verify that all is well and safe and secure in the port. So the cruise lines will will do that to look after the safety and security of their guests. So that's at the port level and the next level out. And that's where our guests go if they're on an organized ships tour or if they just want to go into the city or the countryside and walk about and enjoy everything that the destination has to offer. So here we can talk a little bit about those partnerships and the sorts of things that the lines do to make sure that people are safe on self-guided or ships-sponsored tours and both security for the lines 
but also the departments and the cruise lines that are responsible for shore excursions will look into where are the tours planning to go, where would guests and crew members be likely to go in a town or city that the ship is visiting, where are recommended areas to go, and where are areas that should be avoided due to concerns such as, for example, crime. If pickpockets are known to be in a particular area, the ships will caution guests about that, and they'll recommend areas to go as an alternative. And uh, you and I have both been on cruises, of course, Rick, and we found these notes in our staterooms about here are the interesting places to go, here are some recommendations, here are the places that one might want to avoid for these reasons. Yeah, and I think what's interesting to me, I mean, you know, the guest gets that in a short notification, is the significant amount of work that goes on. And and in today's digital world, uh, I will say the cruise lines, to their credit, are leveraging and harnessing electronic data and data flows and data analytics and all sorts of things Mm -hmm. to, you know, get good indications and, and warning when crime in a particular area in a city is on the uprise or, you know, there's been more, as you said, more pickpockets here or something there, you know, they're getting much earlier indications and alerting that, you know, a particular area may be seeing those types of concerns so that they can make the crew and the guests aware before they head out into town, you know, of, of those areas. And, and so just without divulging too much of the details, but I will say that, you know, they do a lot of that, I'll say, intelligence gathering and analysis work mm-hmm. behind the scenes to monitor that. And they also liaison with the local law enforcement, you know, in that city uh, about those particular issues as well, you know, to get the real-time updates from them. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we, sh- we can throw in here as well that crucial partner in this whole security support web is our uh, tour operators. I found when I was working at Princess that our tour operators had a wealth of information about the situation. They know their city really well. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they live there and, and, yeah. and they're motivated and, and want the passengers to have a safe and fun experience ashore, a rewarding experience. And so these cruise lines keep in close tabs with them. And many of the time where you know we, we would hear something about maybe some political protests or some unrest in a particular city, and we'd contact our tour operators and we'd say, hey, you know, is this going to affect the tours? Do we have a way to go around those areas and avoid problems? And we'd work together with them to make sure that uh, that we could do that. And ultimately, if it, you know, taking playing on the example again about local protests, if there's no way to go around them, there's no safe way to do it. Why you might have to just take that tour off the itinerary. Yeah. And we've had experience doing that as well. I mean, these tour companies, you alluded to it, just like we vet the ports and, and or say we, when, it, when we were in the cruise industry, you know, we were involved with vetting the ports and doing all the screening. I mean, cruise officials and, and representatives of the cruise companies do the same thing with the tour operators so that, you know, we know we're dealing with reputable partners that, you know, have all the right safety things in place. They have their emergency procedures and contingency plans and communications and all the things necessary to, as you said, you know, adjust when situations change on the ground and do that. And of course, sometimes, unfortunately, that'll mean you have to cancel a particular shore excursion or something that, you know, you can't avoid a potential risk. And in some cases, not often, but, you know, rarely you'll have a case where you've actually got to, you know, avoid a port for a period of time because of situations that are going on there. I mean, I recall 
in the summer of uh, 2016 at Carnival, you know, we were thrilled to be introducing Carnival Vista. You know, it was a brand new ship, biggest ship in the line, new class. And she came out of a shipyard in Europe and was going to sail for about six months in a Mediterranean season that summer. And we had some Eastern Mediterranean itineraries that featured some ports in Turkey. And mm -hmm. huge, huge positive itinerary. You know, a lot of people booking because they wanted to experience Turkey and we're really looking forward to it. Unfortunately, that summer, Turkey had a significant amount of political unrest and, you know, an attempted coup. And, um, you know, the just the, the safety considerations got to the point where, you know, and I was involved in those discussions. But as a company, we made the decision that, you know, as much as we hated to disappoint the guest, we weren't going to put them at risk by, you know, potentially going to a location that, you know, we couldn't be reasonably assured everything would be safe. And yeah. so, you know, there was a decision made to reorient those cruises to some different ports until the situation in Turkey calmed down. And, you know, months later, we were able to return and resume. But that's just one, you know, anecdotal example of how that information flow and monitoring feeds into real-time decision-making to keep the ships and the guests safe. Yeah, that's a real good example, Rick. I mean, it, and just for me personally, you know, Turkey, I, I've been there many times. and. Uh, yeah, me as well. It's a wonderful country. And oh, we were it's a beautiful and historic country. And I've been there on my own for vacation. But, you know, when I was, I would assign myself some of these port security. <laughs> and, you know, I would be everything we talked about earlier, all the partnerships, everything that, that the lines do in the port. You know, I'd be doing some of that work myself, visiting places like Istanbul and Kusadasi and really, you know, ports all over the world. I mean, we're, we're focusing a little bit on the Eastern Med here, but there's good reason to visit a lot of other places just to make sure that everything's all uh, sorted out from a security perspective. So summing up here, let's, let's see if we'll just tick off, make sure that we've covered some of these port partners. Again, every location in the world's a little bit different and your spread of Security partnerships might be slightly different in different places that you go, but it's generally true that we're going to partner the cruise lines. I say we, but you know, the cruise lines are going to partner with port authorities. Uh, oh, we forgot to mention the port agent, Rick. That's the uh, individual who makes sure the ship gets their order of stakes and uh, you know ensures that line handlers are down there to receive the ship and that fuel is coming. I mean, the port agent does a whole lot of things for the ship and is is also a very helpful supporter and source of information that's security related. So Yeah, no, they great for all the logistics support to the ship, but quite honestly, again, just like the tour operators, they live in that city, you know, yeah. they pulse on on, you know, business and and activities throughout the city and so we frequently would get, you know, some of our best indications of potential issues or things that needed to be resolved from the agents in advance before we ever even got to the city or the port. Yeah. Our agents are great. So we've got port authorities, we got port agents, we got tour operators. As you'd mentioned, Rick, you know, federal, state, and local security agencies, police forces, a little bit different in each country. I'll throw another one in here that we didn't mention before either, and that is embassy and consulate security staff. So Yeah, and I would say we, you know, we generally leverage them depending on, you know, as you mentioned earlier, the registry, the flag of the vessel, because there's a formal country relationship in that regard. You know, if it's a UK flag, you could obviously leverage the UK embassy. But we would also frequently look at what was the nationality of the preponderance of the guest on board, you know. And so if 80 or 90 percent of the guests on board were U.S. citizens, you know, we would certainly talk to the U.S. embassy or the U.S. consulate as well. 
or if it was preponderance German guest on a, on a ship, you know, we'd be talking to the German embassy or vice versa. Yeah. And it's worth mentioning that those embassies and consulates are very supportive. And another great source of information, an example I would give is for the P&O Australia line. Now, I believe I, I, we're calling it Carnival Australia, sales out of Australia and calls in places like Bali. Those passengers are predominantly Australian, and we would have strong relationships with the consulates and the embassies in the ports of call in Indonesia. By that, I mean the Australian you know, embassies and consulates. Another great example, you know, how those strong relationships build. The United Kingdom has a number of, you know, former colonies, now territories and areas down throughout the Caribbean. And part of their consular office in Miami, you know, has a, a section that focuses on UK interests, you know, throughout the Caribbean region. And they would routinely, when they would hold their emergency management planning exercises and disaster response drills and other things, they would invite myself or one or two other officials from the cruise line to come and just join them for a day or two as they went through their training and exercise yeah. programs just to keep that integration and facilitation going. Right, exactly. And you've formed those partnerships. Folks have seen you, they know you. And if at any point something comes up, like your example situation in Turkey, everybody knows who to call, everybody knows their role as part of the security support team. And everybody works smoothly together to ensure the safety of the ship, the guests, and the crew members. So those relationships are just crucial, Rick. And I don't think we can say it often enough that everybody working as a team together doing those things, is, it's just a single most important ways to make sure that our passengers, our guests, and our crew members are safe. I remember a quick vignette from you know back when I was still in uniform on the government side. So a country, a situation, and a cruise line that shall all remain nameless, but security concern developed in a particular place. You know, I was still back on the government side, wasn't working for the cruise line then, but had developed through the CLIA security committee, the relationship with, you know, the whole team there. And I reached out to them because I was like, hey, you know, this situation is developing, you know, I can only say so much about it, but wanted you guys to be aware of it because I believe you have in the industry, a couple ships that are going to be paying calls in that area over the next few months. I got a call back from the head of security at this one particular line. We had some discussions that I could share with him. And they made a decision to essentially avoid that location, as we talked about, to avoid a particular risk. And then a couple months later, when the situation appeared to resolve, I was able to call him back and say, your ultimate judgment, but it seems like that risk has been mitigated now. You know, and then they were able to return, you know, because we had developed that standing relationship and that level of trust. It was an easy information share, an easy decision for them to make. So, Rick, I think we'll just quickly define a term. So you mentioned CLIA. We should just say for folks that don't know, that's the Cruise Lines International Association. That's the industry group and uh, the organization that helps coordinate a lot of the things that we've been talking about between lines. So real quick, and then we'll wrap it up here. Is there anything else you want to mention about intelligence? People have this perception it's classified material. It's kept secret off in dark corners. But I think you you talked about some information that you know you'd become aware of. You kept your ear to the ground. Cruise lines do the same thing. It's not all behind a classified firewall. Is there anything more you want to say about Intel? Yeah, well, I mean, basically two kinds, right? There's uh, classified material, and 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 there actually are some people in the cruise line industry that have government clearances that can mm -hmm. receive you know real government classified information if needed. I'll say equally, if not more important on a day-to-day -day basis is what we call open source, which is unclassified information. 
and it's frequently it's you know the overflow of data and information in the world today it's being able to sort through it all and and kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together and understand the mosaic you're looking at and and that's when i said earlier that you know i give a lot of credit to the cruise lines who are leveraging new technology and you know data harvesting and and data analytics and data management and how to take a look at this crush of information that's out there in our digital world and distill that down into meaningful insights to help improve security for the ships and the guests. Exactly. And a real important point to make here, Rick, is that while ships or cruise lines, different cruise lines will compete on who offers the best destinations or who has the best shrimp cocktail. And I say that somewhat jokingly, oh, I love shrimp cocktail, but <laughs> for security, the cruise lines share information and don't compete. And that's a very important point of distinction because something that might happen or go badly for one line will affect the entire industry. So the whole industry through CLIA, through the association, is incentivized to share information to make sure you know even competitors are safe. Well, and, and for the listening audience, that CLIA security committee I mentioned that John used to sit on, you know, that's comprised of the, you know, essentially the chief security officers from all the cruise lines together with some CLIA leadership. And and so they freely share information. You know, there's no no competition when it comes to security. And they freely share information. And when John and I met when I was still in government, they routinely invite government partners to come in and provide updates and briefings. And so that was my first exposure to that committee and where I met you, John, several years back. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was a pleasure meeting you back then, Rick, and continuing that relationship and friendship to this day. So unfortunately, that's all we have time for. Rick, I really would like to thank you for joining me here. It was really great having this conversation with you, and I hope it's helped out some folks and helped educate them a little bit in the basics of cruise line security. Before we go, is there anything you want to let everybody know, like if they want to connect with you, find out more about your company and the services that you provide? Is there anything you'd like to just leave us with here that people might want to jot down? Well, the easiest way to connect, our website, um, pharosmissioncritical.com. Pharos mm-hmm. is P-H-A-R-O-S, missioncritical.com. So feel free to go there. There's an info thing. You can always drop us an email and happy to chat or respond to anybody that has a question. Fantastic. And 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 for me, it, it's more or less the same. I've got my website, Broad Reach Maritime, spelled exactly as it sounds, no spaces, broadreachmaritime.com. On my website, you can find ways to contact me and uh, like for you, Rick, the sorts of services that I can provide. We're both happy to answer any questions that anybody might have about cruise line security. And I guess that's unfortunately it for the day, Rick. Thank you again so much for joining me. And for all of you who are listening, well, we wish you a safe and adventurous cruising experience. Yeah, thanks, John. And happy to see the industry restarted now and uh, wishing everybody a great cruise. Couldn't agree more. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Sea Trick Cruise Talks. To learn more about Expedition Cruising, join us for Sea Trick Cruise Global, 27th to 30th of September, in person and virtually. For more information, visit seatrickcruiseglobal.com. For more content like this, visit seatrate-cruise.com forward slash seatrate-cruise-talks. <laughs>